Well, good evening. Good to see everybody who's here in person tonight. Glad to have you with us uh, there online. Be sure uh, if you want to share any prayer requests with us, do that on Facebook. Uh, that's what we'll be looking at live on our devices here uh, to make sure if there's any requests. You can send prayer requests any way that you want, whether on YouTube or Twitter or any of those other platforms. Uh, we, we will check those, but uh, this is what we'll be checking during the live. Uh, also, you can send those to our our website, I mean to our uh, email at highlandbaptist.cafes.net or highlandbaptisttullahoma at gmail.com. So any one of those, uh, you, can, you can send those messages to us. Uh, we are on Facebook at HBC Tullahoma. Twitter is the same at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. And then our phone live streaming is 855-532-4025. So be sure to uh, take a moment to get on one of those share those, heart those, like those, uh, subscribe to them, uh, follow us so that you can be able to get the notifications. And it also just also lets others know uh, that we're live when you're watching as well as when you tag other people in it. So be sure to do that. Uh, let me encourage you also to go to our church website if you're there online with us, highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go over to the info tab. It's under the info tab. You can find your worship bulletin for this week. Uh, a lot of things that are coming up uh, as well as our children's worship bulletins from this past Sunday. Uh, these will be actually the ones for next Sunday also uh, because we had missed a message and so I preached the message on Jesus being tempted this past Sunday so we will be uh, looking at an ordinary disciple what was on the front of the bulletin for last week and these bulletins for the children uh, go along with that. Uh, so just wanted to make you aware of that. Also under that info tab. Uh, you can download the prayer list there. Be sure to get that and go ahead and get that either there on your device ready to look at or print it off where you can be able to have a, a printed copy. If you're here in person and you need to get one of these uh, prayer lists, uh, they're down here at the front. So be sure to do that. The bulletins are in the window sills as well as the children's worship bulletins. As long as you're there on our website, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do your online giving there. Uh, just go to the far right hand side, click the Give Online tab. Uh, you can do that real simple, real easy. So I encourage you to take the time to do that, if you will. Uh, it's a real simple platform that will take you to. You can designate your offering uh, however you need to do that, and you can see that little video there uh, that you saw on the screen. Uh, so be sure to do that. You can drop it by the church also anytime Monday through Thursday during our business hours, or you can send it in the mail to Highland Baptist Church Post Office Box 1195, Tullahoma, Tennessee, 37388, or you can give it in person uh, if you're here in person. Uh, let me just share with you a couple of other things before we get into our song uh, tonight. Let me just remind you that we do still have a few of these books around. So if you are interested online, we had someone uh, comment last week. We just want to make sure if you do want this, send us a private message or send us an email uh, with your name and your address. That way we can be able to send that back to you. You may not want to put your address out there uh, on Facebook or something like that. But send us that email so we can be able to send you uh, one of these books if you would like one. Uh, it's the Illustrated Life of Jesus by Herschel Hobbs. We're offering these for free along with our Sunday morning service series that we're doing on the life of Jesus. Uh, if you're here in person, there's some here at the front uh, as well as at the back and out. In the, I think there's maybe one out in the hall uh, behind me. And then also for our uh, Wednesday night revelation study, last week uh, our study was on uh, the numbers in uh, the book of Revelation as well as all throughout the Bible and looking at some of the interpretation of what do those numbers represent or symbolically mean. And I put together a little small uh, hand card uh, piece um, that you can take and look at to guide you as we go through the study. We won't see a lot of that as we go through these first uh, seven letters. You'll see the number seven as we look at those seven letters. But the rest of these numbers won't come back into play again until after we get through these seven letters. But it's a good resource to have uh, just as you're going through and you see a certain number to be like, okay, what does that number mean? so I can properly uh, interpret what that, what that passage is talking about uh, and looking at the symbolism of each one of those numbers. So we have those here in person. If you want to grab one of those, they're on a little card. Uh, if you want it online, uh, please, again, shoot us an email or a comment there, or you can pick one up sun Sunday if we have any of those left. Uh, so uh, please let us know that. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our opening hymn. For those of you here, take your hymnals and turn to 476. Um, be strong in the Lord. For those of you that are online, should have the words. Miss Pat? Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Brother Mike. Uh, again, if you will, go ahead and be sharing those prayer requests there uh, online so that we can be able to notice those as we uh, go through the prayer request list uh, here. Uh, let me just uh, mention a few to you that we've added to the list uh, that we want to make sure that you're uh, aware of. want to continue to remember uh, Jack Dow. Ken Tatum is doing better uh, with, from his surgery. Uh, this is on the uh, HPC family side, so you could probably remove him. Uh, from your prayer list. Jack Dowd is still uh, recovering from his surgery, uh, and he was on last week but didn't give us a comment about how uh, he was doing. So if Brother Jack is on there or Brother Jack comes on, uh, please encourage him to let us know how things are going there. Uh, Mike Beck, uh, this, and some of you may know him as Gary. Uh, also, he is uh, in the hospital uh, with COVID and pneumonia uh, here, so uh, keep him uh, in your prayers, uh, as well as uh, Millie Smith. She had uh, surgery with appendicitis uh, the other day, so uh, on Saturday, so keep or Friday, so keep her in your prayers. She's doing better and continuing to heal with that, but just continue to keep her in your prayers. And then Rosie Bouchard uh, has been sick, so uh, keep her in your prayers too. She'd asked if we would uh, pray for her. Uh, those are the ones that I wanted to update you on the on the uh, HBC family side. Is there any others in our family of Highland Baptist Church there? I think that's the main ones. Uh, as you look at the friends and family uh, side there, uh, well, let me just say Jim Marlowe is still recovering from, from his surgery that we have on the HBC family side. Uh, Wade Hall is, is doing better also. Uh, then if you'll follow on down to uh, um, 
Chris Gregory, Ms. Pat has stepped out so she can't give us an update, but we know last week he was still having some issues uh, with his knee from uh, his knee replacement. So uh, continue to keep him in your prayers. Uh, remember uh, James Harvey, uh, who has cancer. Remember Cindy Cruz, uh, that's my cousin, uh, who has liver cancer. Uh, Debbie Norman, who is my cousin's wife who lives in uh, Colorado. Uh, she has been on the ventilator uh, and been in ICU since January the 4th and is still in ICU, uh, but they have had some slight improvement. They, she had gotten better. They had had to put her back on 100% oxygen with the ventilator, and uh, she was on that for several days, but they, uh, the last report that I got uh, day before yesterday is that they had reduced her down to 60%, and we're looking to do some procedure yesterday to try to uh, continue to move that along with her, but uh, just continue to keep her in your prayers as she's still in ICU. Uh, with COVID. Uh, my sister-in-law, Leslie, uh, is doing better, so we praise the Lord for that. And then do remember uh, Tommy Bass, who has stage four uh, lung cancer, and that's Tracy Henderson's uh, dad. Any others that we need to add to the prayer list? Any other updates that we have? If you're there on uh, Facebook, be sure to let us know. If you're on YouTube or any of those other things, uh, you can just call the office and leave us a message, and we'll get that, that we can add it to the prayer list, or you can send that email. Anybody else? Okay, well, those were the ones that we had, so I uh, don't see any more there uh, on Facebook or anything. So let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer for these prayer requests as well as others that may be uh, on your hearts. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your blessings of this day. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your presence. Uh, we praise your name, Lord, for just life itself uh, and for your sustaining hand of, of mercy and grace upon us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, we are here tonight to study your word, and we anxiously look forward to what your word uh, has to say for us here uh, in the book of Revelation. So uh, we do, in the beginning right here, just ask, Lord, for uh, the, the blessing that you promised in this word, that those who read this word, those who hear this word, and those who keep this word will all be blessed. And so may every single one of us who are here tonight, as we read it, as we hear it, may we receive a blessing. Those who are online, may they also. And then may we take the truths that we learn from it and apply to our lives that we might even receive a, a triple blessing there in the keeping uh, of your word. And so we come before you, Lord, knowing that we have not always done that. We've not always been faithful to keep your word. So we come asking for your forgiveness and your cleansing by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, for you to just stir our hearts to a closer walk with you. Help us, Lord, to fall in love more passionately, more deeply than ever before. And, Father, I pray that you'll reignite that passion within some, Lord, who have, who have lost that first love that they've had. And, Father, I pray that you will uh, just draw us ever closer to you even tonight as we go through this study. So, Lord, we ask your blessings upon your word. We ask you to use it in our lives. Uh, Lord, convict us. Convict us of any sin that we might need to confess before you. And we come before you asking for cleansing for our sin even now because we don't want any of uh, the, any sins in our lives, anything we're holding on to, to keep us, Lord, from uh, you hearing our prayers. And so, Father, we come before you to confess those things and to ask for uh, the cleansing and, and ask, Lord, that you just wash us as white as snow with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And Father, we pray that, that you will remember those things no more and that we will be faithful, uh, Lord, that not only as we repent of them, uh, Lord, I pray that we would renew our faith in you and be faithful, uh, Lord, to do the things that you've told us to do and commanded us to do. So, Lord, we want to bring these requests that we've mentioned tonight before uh, your throne of grace. Uh, Lord, we know that you're capable and able, and we just give you the glory and the praise for all of those that we've been praying for, that you've been bringing healing already to, the praise reports of those who are who are continuing to improve. Uh, we just give you the glory and the honor. Thank you, Lord, for doctors and nurses uh, who you give wisdom and discernment to take care of us, and we ask your blessings 
upon them, but we do continue, Lord, to, to entrust each and every one of these individuals into your hands as you are the great physician and ask you to bring that ultimate healing uh, to their hearts and to their lives. For those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that uh, the, th the things are going through, the valley even that they may be going through, would be a time, Lord, to draw them to faith in Christ, that they would trust in him as their Lord and their Savior. And, and so, Father, we pray for their salvation. We pray for those who are on our hearts. Maybe they're not even on this list uh, going through a physical crisis right now. Uh, they're going through something else. And so, Father, we just uplift them to you and ask for uh, you to divinely intervene in their lives. Use us in whatever way that you will to be a witness to them, just befriending our neighbors, our family members, whoever it might be, uh, that we might uh, build that relationship and, and look for those opportunities to share our faith in Christ. And to know, Lord, that all we're responsible to share is what we know, what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've seen in the truth of your word. And I pray that's what we will share. We will share the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He died on that cross in our place that we deserve to die upon. And he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day to give us that victory over death, hell, and the grave. If we would but trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Father, we pray for those who may watch this uh, service online later uh, or even tonight who don't know Christ. Use this message even tonight to speak that truth of the gospel into their hearts. So, Lord, we ask for your will to be done as we come to, to look and finish up this part about the numbers and then to get into this first letter to the church at Ephesus. And we just pray, God, for your blessings upon your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to hop back, if you will, to those little handout cards that I gave you because we rushed through those last few. And so this won't be on the screen unless he's able to bring it up on the screen there from before uh, in looking at these numbers. Uh, we're going to look at number eight uh, just to kind of go back and do a real quick review uh, on the card let me just share with you what those numbers represent number one is the number of unity and preeminence it symbolizes god number two is the number of witness the number of confirmation now we i didn't put this on the note there but it, it also is one of the things i pointed out is, is the second person of the trinity jesus christ uh, is the witness uh, to the Father. And so uh, you could almost say also that the number two represents Christ or symbolizes Christ. Uh, the number three is the number of divinity, the number of the Trinity or the triunity, uh, if you will. Uh, and so we, we talked about that in depth before. Number four, and if you don't, didn't get all that in depth, go back and watch last Wednesday nights uh, after the service tonight. Number four is the number of the earth the number of the world, the number of God's creation. Uh, the numbers 5 and 10 we talked about are basically uh, the same in the scripture, uh, 5 being half of 10, 10 being the double of 5. Uh, they are the numbers of fullness uh, or completeness. Uh, and so we talked about that. You're going to see the number 5 and especially the number 10 and multiples of these numbers that are uh, these numbers multiplied by 10 uh, that so you'll it'll be almost like you're taking two meanings. You'll be taking uh, the meaning for number three and the number ten and putting those together uh, essentially as it's being multiplied uh, in the number that you may be looking at. Uh, an example of that would be like the number six. The number six is the number of man, but we also know that's if you triple that six six six, that's the number of the antichrist, uh, and so uh, that's multiplied out in a sense um, and and so uh, the number seven is the number of perfection this is the number you're going to see the most throughout the bible and, and especially even in the book of revelation uh, seven is three plus four if you'll remember three is the divine number four is the world number the number of the world uh, so you add those two together and seven is the number where god and the world get together is the number of perfection uh, the number eight is the number of new things or new beginnings. It's symbolically used uh, of the new birth. And we talked just a little bit there uh, about Noah. We talked about uh, the, the number eight is uh, the beginning of those new things uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, if you remember, circumcision was to take place when? 
on the eighth day uh, after birth because circumcision was a sign. It was an Old Testament sign and an, uh, and a symbol of salvation. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, uh, by, the putting off, uh, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, and so circumcision symbolizes new life that we have in Jesus. You could also say the same thing about baptism. Baptism is that. Uh, when, we, when God destroyed the world uh, by the flood, here's what we're told in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, uh, um, with seven others, or one of eight people, uh, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Uh, Noah represented a new beginning uh, of eight people. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 20 references back to Noah. And we're told, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Uh, we talked also a little bit about when Jesus uh, was raised from the dead. When was that? It was on the first day of the week as we know it, but that would be the eighth day. The Sabbath being the, second, the seventh day of the week, the next day is the eighth day. And so uh, five days later, on, or 50 days later, on the same day uh, of the week, on the eighth day of the week, came Pentecost, uh, which was a new beginning, a new time of the Holy Spirit of God. In Luke 9, verse 28, we're told that the transfiguration of Jesus, which symbolized his coming in power in his kingdom, took place on the eighth day. Uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, we're told in John chapter 20 and verse 26 that he appeared to the disciples on the eighth day. Sunday, the eighth day, or the first day of the week, is the day of new beginnings. And so that's where we get the emphasis there of eight being uh, the number of new or new things or beginning, new beginnings uh, symbolically used of the new birth. The number nine uh, is the number of judgment. It has similarities to the number six because uh, where three plus three equals six, three times three equals nine. So when Jesus was crucified, he was nailed to the cross. Does anybody know at what time? About 9 o'clock in the morning. And he gave up the spirit about the ninth hour. In the Bible, there are nine recorded stonings. There are nine cases of leprosy. There are nine instances of blindness. Uh, when you look at the fruit of the spirit, how many fruits of the spirit are listed in Galatians? Nine. The ninefold fruit of the spirit against which there is no law or no judgment. And so number nine is the number of judgment. Uh, number 12 is the number of God's, is, 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 the number 12 is God's governmental number. Uh, it's the number of the rule of the government uh, of God. And so just like 9 is related to 6, 12 is related to 7, 4 plus 3 equals 7, but if you multiply it, it equals 12. 12 is the number of the world multiplied by the number of God. So that's where we're getting a couple of those numbers put together as you look at what are the multiples of 12. Uh, and so it refers to the rule and the reign of God over this world. So it has God in it, it has this world in it, and it's talking about God's rule over this world. There are 12 months in the year, which shows that God controls time. Uh, there are 12 signs uh, of Zodiac, which shows that God controls space. There are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Now, when we say 12 signs of Zodiac, we're not talking about uh, horoscopes. We're talking about the astrological signs in the skies, the stars that make those signs in the skies that we can see, like the Big Dipper uh, or uh, Capricorn or any of those kinds of signs that we might uh, see in the sky with those stars. Uh, and that's what we're talking about, that God controls space. There are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Uh, there are how many apostles? Twelve. Twelve apostles uh, of the Lamb. There are twelve gates in the New Jerusalem, in the city of New Jerusalem, uh, that we're going to see, which also have, as you're going to find out, twelve foundations. Uh, and in Matthew 19 and verse 28, we're told, 
Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, the things we're reading about here in Revelation, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, You think about when Jesus was being threatened with death. Uh, He said that he could call down how many legions of angels? Twelve. Twelve legions of angels. The only time the Lord is ever seen between his birth and his baptism is at the age of twelve. When he gave his testimony that he was doing his father's business. And that is, he was showing that he was perfectly ruled by God. And then you read in Revelation 4, 4, it says around the throne were how many thrones? 24, which is a multiple of 12. That's 12 times 2. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So these represent the redeemed of the Lamb. Uh, They are sitting on thrones ruling with God. Why are they 24? Uh, There are 12 who represent the Old Testament saints. There are 12 who represent the New Testament saints. And so all of the redeemed and all of those who have been chosen by God one day are going to rule and to reign with God. And so that was the, the, the understanding there of the numbers. And you can go back and look at the rest of those. You can go back and listen to last week's message to get the fullness of, of all of those. Uh, just that last little bit there that we had not really gone through. We kind of flew through. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this, the personal significance of these numbers. So what do all these numbers have to say to us personally? Well, we, we went quickly through this, but and we'll go quickly again through it. But uh, the number one tells us there is one God and only one God. And besides him, there is no other God. The number two tells us that this God has spoken to us through who? His son, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, which we're told in Hebrews 1, verse 1 and verse 2, long ago at many times and many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed with the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Uh, And so the number two, representing Christ, representing the witness, uh, representing the confirmation there. Number three tells us that this God has revealed himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, God the Father, who in turn sent the Son to die for us, who in turn sent God the Holy Spirit to live in us so that we might be saved. The number four tells us that this entire world belongs to him. The kingdoms of this world one day will become the kingdoms of our dear Lord. He owns it all. And one day every creature who has ever lived uh, will know it. The number five, we said, tells us that, that God, what God starts, God finishes, God completes. And it's perfect. He's going to create a new world uh, where his people can live forever free uh, from sin, free from self, free from Satan. Uh, The number six uh, tells us that without Jesus Christ, we're an imperfect sinner. uh, And we need to be saved so that we might be made right with the perfect God. Uh, Number seven tells us that God is not only perfect, but he is also the God of perfect love. Uh, And that perfect love sent a son to die for us so that we might have a perfect salvation that indeed would take us to a home, uh, take us home to a perfect heaven. And that number eight tells us that we are born again. We can start over. We can be a new creature in Christ. Number nine tells us that unless you get right with God, you will surely face his judgment. But the number 12 tells us that if you will let him, God will take over your life and take you to heaven when you die. And so that's why these numbers are so important. Uh, And there's so much that we're going to see from them as we go into the book of Revelation. And so I wanted you to have that information so that you can begin, uh, as you're reading through, uh, be able to understand uh, some of these uh, places that we're going to see these numbers. So take your Bible and turn over to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation 2 and verse 1 through verse 7. And we're going to get into the first, the first of the seven letters to the seven churches. There's that number again, the number seven. The book of Revelation is the only book. That, well, I'll, I'll pause with that for just a moment. Let's read verse one first. Uh, verse one tells us, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this is Jesus speaking to John, uh, telling him, here's what I want you to do, uh, what, what I want you to write. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He wants John to write, first of all, to this church at Ephesus, so they will know who this message is from. This message is not from John. This is not John's uh, own personal ideas. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that gives uh, its own outline. If you go back to verse 19 in chapter 1, John was told this, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those things that are and those things that are to take place after this. And that's the divine division of this book. Uh, so the things that you have seen refers to the vision that John uh, had of the glorified Christ that we saw already in the beginning of chapter 1. The things that are refers to these letters, to the seven churches uh, that are being written, that are being addressed in these, in these verses. The things which will take place after this begins uh, in, in, in chapter 4 there. Uh, he's referring to those things which are to take place in the future, and it's written in chapters 4 and following through the end of the book. So that's kind of your division there uh, that he's, he's talking about. The things which you've seen is chapter 1. The things which are, are the letters to the seven churches. And then chapter 4 is the things which are to take place after these things. And, and so the letters that John wrote to the seven churches, we need to understand are for the church in every age. Because here's what we're told in verse 7 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is do you have your spiritual ears on? You need to be ready for what I have to say to the church, not just to the church specifically at Ephesus, but to the church in every age, in every time. And so the church at Ephesus, it was a church that was doing many things right, but it had one fatal flaw. Jesus was always coming in second. And that's tragic because we know from, uh, from the sports world that nobody really cares who comes in second. Uh, that's why there's such an emphasis on winning. It's no longer how you play the game. It's who wins, who comes in first that really matters. I mean, we've got a Super Bowl that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks here to determine who, who's the winner. And nobody's going to remember who the loser was. You're only going to remember who was the winner. Uh, I mean, when you think about trivia, uh, we always are thinking about uh, who were the winners of the previous Super Bowls, not who were the losers. Uh, and, and so uh, who and what comes in first will determine whether or not, as we're going to see here spiritually, whether or not your life really counts for God. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So I begin by asking a question. Are we as a church where, are we a church where Jesus comes in second? Are you as an individual Christian, are you a Christian where Jesus is second in your life? What's more important to you, a new TV or, or, or a new phone or your giving to the Lord? Is it sharing the gospel with your neighbors or is it going to a baseball game? Is it watching TV or is it being in church on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night? But before we begin to come down too hard on this church at Ephesus, I want you to see that they were doing some things that were really good. They were doing some things that were really right. I mean, it, this is a church uh, at Ephesus that you begin to wonder uh, as you begin to see the, the, com the, the, the commendation of the church here, which is our first point, uh, is the commendation of the church, uh, that, that, man, they were rocking it. They were doing great but yet they were missing something. So think about this as you look at the commendation uh, of the church. If you had attended the First Baptist Church of Ephesus, you would have found a dynamic church. I mean, to the naked eye, it would have seemed as if this church had it all together. It was as near a perfect church as you could ever imagine. Jesus had many wonderful things to say about this church. The first thing he says about them is that it was a devoted church. It was a devoted church. 
Uh, They were a growing church. They were hustling. They were active in their fellowship. They were busy as bees. Uh, Someone said this, that they were as active as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. (laughs) That's one thing that you could say about most Baptist churches. Whatever else they are, they're busy. Uh, They're literally hives of activity. Uh, Someone wrote this little poem and said, Mary had a little lamb, it grew to be a sheep. It joined a Southern Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. (laughs) Whatever else this church was, it was not a lazy church. They were busy. Whatever else they were, they were not lazy. It was like a a giant factory, if you will, uh, where where all the smokestacks were going full steam. If there was a program to put on, they were putting it on and they were doing it right. And everybody was involved in something. And something was going on down at the church of Ephesus all the time. Then Jesus says, notice here in verse 2. Notice verse 2. It says, I know your toil and your labor. I know your toil or your labor. The word labor there or the word toil there is a different Greek word from the word works that you might see in James's letter. It's a different Greek word than works. This word refers to the effort and the sweat that's involved in the work that was being done. Works refers to service of the church, while labor or toil refers to the sacrifice of the church. This was a church that had its sleeves rolled up. They had gone to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were spilling their blood and their sweat and their toil and their tears to do all that they could to advance the kingdom of God. You see, it pays to serve Jesus, and it pays every day, and it pays every step of the way. But I tell you, it also costs to serve Jesus. In the kingdom of God, there is no gain without pain. If you're going to serve Jesus, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your money. It's going to cost you your effort. It's going to cost you some inconvenience. It's going to cost you maybe some popularity. But this was a church at Ephesus that was willing to pay the price. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor is that you can grow a church without a lot of things. You can grow a church without a lot of money. Uh, You can grow a church without a lot of advertisement. You can grow a church without buildings and, and orchestras that some churches have and choirs and programs and staff. But you cannot grow a church without work. And this church at Ephesus, they spared no cost. They spared no labor, no effort, no toil to do everything God wanted them to do and to be everything God wanted them to be. Notice, it was also a disciplined church. Notice what else it says here in verse 2. Jesus observed that they could not bear those with those who are evil. They could not bear with those who are evil. In other words, they exercised church discipline. Uh, So often in our churches today, we're like, whoa, we don't want to go there. Church discipline. And many of the times the reason is, is because we've seen church discipline done the wrong way. That's really the issue for us. They exercised church discipline. So look at it in this way, what was going on here. If one of their members fell into immorality and wouldn't repent of their sin, if one of their members began to live in such a way as to bring reproach to the name of Jesus, they gave them one alternative. Either get right with the Lord or get out. Be good or be gone. Now, that's a far cry from the picture of the average church today. And that's why we sometimes step back and balk at church discipline because we have seen it done so wrong. What we see here at the church of Ephesus was that if one of the flock falls into immorality or begins to live in habitual sin, even today, what do we do? In our church today, we talk about it or we gossip about it. Uh, Or we whisper about it, uh, but we don't do anything else about it. We don't go and talk to the person 
and try to help them get their heart and their life right with the Lord. Today, it's easier to join the, the, the church than it is uh, to join the army and twice as hard to get kicked out. One of the reasons why the church so often has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. The church, this church, Church at Ephesus, had a passion for purity. Now, they weren't judgmental, they weren't pharisaical, but they were biblical. And so when a brother or a sister would begin to backslide, they would reprove them, they would rebuke them, they would exhort them to get right with God. And so that's what it means that they could not bear with those who are evil. Notice also it was a discerning church. Now, we could preach a whole other message there on the discipline of the church, uh, but it was, we'll just leave it at that for the church here at Ephesus. It was a discerning church. That's our third point here. Notice what else it says in verse 2 there. But have tested, speaking of them at Ephesus, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So when you read that, what do you get out of it? This church wouldn't have anything to do with liberalism whatsoever. It wouldn't put up with false teaching or heresy. Someone has well said that a New Testament church has the right to screen out the bugs when it lets the light in. They had made up their mind that they were going to stick to the fundamentals of the faith. They were going to be doctrinally pure. They were going to be orthodox. No liberalism was allowed. No false teachers need apply. False teachers are, are always going to try to come in to God's church. And that's true even in today. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul warned this very church, the church at Ephesus, that false teachers were going to try to come into this church. Go back to the book of Acts, uh, and hopefully this will be on the screen. It's not? Okay. Uh, the book of Acts here in Acts 20 and verse 22 through verse 29 says this, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of, uh, of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you uh, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And then notice especially verse 26, what he says. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus here. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul's saying, I know after I leave, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And what was true of that church is true of every church, of every denomination. Now, thank God uh, this church here at Ephesus had the courage to identify false teaching and to do something about it. I think about our own denomination. If our own denomination had not been careful, we could have gone uh, the way of so many other uh, denominations once, uh, who were once strong, uh, but because of their toleration and their compromise with false teaching have gone the way of, of death and destruction. Uh, there have been times, uh, even in uh, our Baptist colleges, maybe where a professor has stood up and said that it doesn't matter whether Jesus was physically raised uh, from the dead or not. That's false teaching. And those things had to be addressed in our convention before. Uh, professors that said homosexuality is, is not a sin, that it's just a sexual preference. That's false teaching from the Word of God. Uh, professors have said that, that Paul was simply wrong about uh, women. That's false teaching. You may be thinking, well, you're not just very open-minded. Uh, well, I say to you that, that we are very open-minded to the truth, but when we arrive at the truth, we ought to become closed-minded to the Word of God, uh, we're, and we ought to be, that this is the Word of God, this is the truth. Uh, it's not what I feel, it's not what my opinions are. What does God's Word say? So I believe the Bible is infallible. I believe the Bible is inerrant, that it is in the inspired Word of God. And so when, when the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe it. 
uh, that Jesus Christ is only, God's only son. He's the only way to heaven. Uh, he's the savior of the world. I, I'm closed-minded when it comes to the judgment of God. I believe that if you're not saved uh, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then it doesn't matter what else you do. The only way for you to come to faith in Christ, the only way for you to come to the Father is through the Son. You can't get there any other way. And so it doesn't matter what else you do uh, or how well you do it. You will spend an eternity separated from God. This church at Ephesus was open to lost sinners, but it was closed to lying scholars. And we need to be the same way. Here's another positive thing about the church at Ephesus. It was a determined church. A determined church. Look at verse 3, if you will. He says, I know you are enduring patiently... And bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This was a church that wouldn't quit. It was trials, troubles, tribulation, none of that deterred this church from their duty and their responsibility. You know, you could tell the greatness of a church by what it takes to discourage it. And this church wasn't easily discouraged. Now, they, they very easily could have been. Because think about they, where they were. Uh, they were in the city of Ephesus, where they faced all kinds of opposition. Ephesus would be what we might look at today as, as the Southern California of its day. It was a city of culture. It had a great stadium where athletic games were held for the entertainment of people. It had a tremendous theater there that seated over 25,000 people where people could go and see the latest plays of the day. There were all kinds of things to see, all kinds of things to divert you, all kinds of things to distract you from the church and the gospel. It was a city of commerce. Ephesus was located right on the sea where ships would come from all over the world and dock and unload their goods. Four great highways uh, came uh, from all directions led into the city. And so it brought a diversity of people. They had one of the greatest marketplaces, uh, what we might say today, one of the greatest shopping malls uh, in, in the world. And then we notice also that it was a city of cults. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana uh, was there. Diana was the preeminent goddess uh, of the ancient world, the goddess of lust and sex. And in other words, it was a city not very much unlike Las Vegas or Los Angeles or New York City uh, of today. But this little church at Ephesus never gave up. They didn't quit because they knew that quitters never win and winners never quit. This church was like the church Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. They were steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Those are the commendations of the church. Secondly, I want you to see the criticism of the church. So he's laid out here some great things that are going there. Your church is doing awesome. It's doing great. You've got all kinds of activity and things. And now you ask, what could be wrong with this church? We've heard so many good things about them. I mean, after all, it was a devoted church. It was a disciplined church. It was a discerning church. It was a determined church. It was a dynamic church. So what in the world could Jesus find wrong with this church? Well, Jesus knew something about that church that nobody else could see. He knew something about that church that nobody else knew. You know what really matters isn't what others think about our church. It's not what really matters what our denomination even thinks of our church. It's not what the news thinks about our church or the culture around us. The only thing that really matters is what God knows about our church. And Jesus knew that they had one fatal flaw in their fellowship with the Lord. They loved Jesus, but they didn't love Jesus like they used to love Jesus. They had left their first love. The spiritual honeymoon was over. Notice verse 4. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Think about this. You remember how it was 
Uh, if you're married in the, in the first days of your relationship uh, with your new bride or your new husband, you remember how it was in that, that, those honeymoon days? I mean, sometimes uh, honeymoons don't last very long. But do you remember how uh, when you first got married, uh, you, men would open the, the door for your wife? And someone has observed that if a man opens a door for his wife today, one of two things is new, e either the car or the wife. <laughs> you remember when you were first married, uh, how she was the most important thing in your life. But as time went on, maybe she or maybe he began to take second place. For some Christians, the spiritual honeymoon is over. Their love for Jesus has grown stale. And that was the problem with this church in Ephesus. They were so busy doing things for Jesus that they didn't have time to spend with Jesus. They had programmed but they had no passion. They were busy for the Lord, but they weren't a blessing to the Lord. You remember the story of Martha and Mary? Martha was so busy, she was encumbered with many things in the kitchen. She was cooking the meat in there. She was peeling the potatoes, cutting those onions, and all she could think about is Mary is sitting out there, and she's not in here helping me do the work. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him and listening to him teach the word of God. But Martha was more concerned about the roast in the oven than she was about the teaching of the Lord. She was more concerned about doing things for Jesus than she was about spending time with Jesus. Do you know what was wrong with Martha? Jesus was in second place. When a church comes to the point that work is more important than worship, that labor is more important than love, then Jesus has fallen into second place. Did you know that there are some people who love their Sunday school class more than they love Jesus? Been there, seen it. There are some people who love singing for Jesus more than they love the Jesus whom they sing about. There are some people in the church who love the church's money more than they love Jesus. There are people who love their church more than they love Jesus. You see, they were doing all of the right things, but they were doing them for all of the wrong reasons. They were obedient, but their heart really wasn't in it. They were orthodox. In other words, they were straight as a gun barrel, but they were just as empty as that gun barrel. When a man asked Jesus, you remember, came to ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? Do you remember what Jesus said? According to Jesus, the great commandment is not to work for God. It's to love God. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you give God your ability, you haven't given God anything because there's nothing that God can't do. When you give God your intelligence, you haven't given God anything because there's nothing that God doesn't know. When you've given God your money, you haven't given God anything because there's nothing that God doesn't own. When you give your love, when you give God your love, then you have put God in his rightful place. Do you know why the first commandment is not to work for God or to pray to God or to give to God or to witness for God? Because when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you'll work for God, and you'll give to God, and you'll pray to God, and you'll witness for God, because your heart will be filled with love. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, was asked this question. He, he was asked, Mr. Taylor, do you think that the greatest requirement for a missionary is that he love lost souls? And Hudson Taylor thought for a moment and he said, No, the greatest requirement for a missionary is that he love the Lord Jesus. Because if he loves Jesus, he'll love lost souls. You see, there's one thing you can do that no one can do any better than you can. And that's to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Maybe somebody can sing more beautifully. Maybe somebody can give more money than you can. Maybe somebody can teach more clearly. But nobody can love Jesus more than you can. You can get a Christian to do anything you want them to do if you can just get that Christian to love Jesus 
supremely. There are some people sometimes in the church that have been given the spiritual gift of teaching. You ought to be teaching in Sunday school. You have the ability. You think you don't uh, do it because you don't have the time. But really the true reason that we don't do so many of the things the Lord has called us to do or, or gifted us to do is because we don't love Jesus the way we ought to love Jesus. There are some who sit in the congregation. You ought to be sitting up here in the choir singing. You've been given a beautiful voice to use for the Lord. A tremendous contribution to, to God's kingdom by singing wonderful praise. And, and you say, well, I don't have time to come to practice or it's because, because of other things or other excuses we make. When really, do we love Jesus the way we ought to love Jesus? If we would just get honest with ourselves and honest with God, the reason why many of us don't lead souls to Jesus like we ought to, the reason why many of us never share our faith, why we, uh, why we never tell a lost soul about Jesus, why we never witness about his death and his burial and his resurrection is not because we don't know that stuff. It's not because we don't know how. It's not really because we're afraid we might be embarrassed. It's simply we don't love Jesus like we ought to love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus the way you ought to love Jesus, it'd be just like it was in the beginning of your marriage, in the beginning of that relationship. You couldn't wait to tell people how much you love that girl or how much you love that guy. You couldn't wait to tell them how the date went, how things went. You would do the same thing and even more if we love Jesus the way we ought to love Jesus. Here's the final thing. Here's the counsel to the church. So what is a church or a Christian to do if it's honest enough to admit that Jesus has fallen into second place in their life. Well, Jesus gives us some practical advice on how to restore that first love. Uh, there are some things we can do to rekindle that fire, but there's, only, uh, there's one thing that Jesus will do if we don't, and we'll see that real quickly here. First, you'll see in verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So the first thing to do is to remember. The first thing we're to do is to, to go back down memory lane. If you're trying to find something that, you, that you've, uh, you need, you go back to where you lost it. You think back to the point in your life where you were the most on fire for Jesus. Is the fire in your heart just as hot now as it was then? Or has the flame flickered out? Do you remember how it was when you first truly were saved? How you were when you were so excited about the Lord Jesus? It ought to be that way now. Do you remember how it was when you were first married to that new bride? How sweet and, and how special and beautiful uh, she was. And, 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 and that ought to be sweeter now and sweeter still. Remember, think back to when you loved Jesus the most. You say, well, what good does that do? All right, I remember how I used to love Jesus. Now, how can I love him like I used to love him then? Here's what Jesus says, one word. Repent. Repent. When, when you don't love someone like you ought to love them, that's not a feeling that's lost forever. That's something you can do something about. So has there ever been a time in your life when you were more excited about Jesus than you are at this very moment? Has there ever been that time when you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now? If the answer to that, those two questions is yes, then you have backslidden away from the Lord and you need to repent. You see, to love the Lord Jesus is a commandment. And if the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the greatest sin is to fail to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. One thing every Christian can do about sin in your life is to repent. You can turn away from sin. And you can begin doing the things you should be doing. Or quit doing the things you shouldn't have been doing. If you've loved Jesus secondarily, you can begin to love him supremely. If you've been loving Jesus uh, prominently, you can once again love him preeminently. You can start right now putting Jesus back on the throne of your life. You can crown him once again as king of your life. And you can put him back in the place that rightfully he deserves. And that's first place. And whatever it is that's keeping you from loving Jesus like you ought to love Jesus ought to be put behind you and away from you. You can turn from the things, that thing. You can get forgiveness for it. And you can commit your life totally to Christ. 
and let him through the power of the Holy Spirit rekindle the fire of love in your heart. Thirdly, repeat. Repeat. Notice what else he says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent. And then he says, and do the works which you did at first. So after we remember, after we repent, then we're to repeat. Jesus says, go back and do the first work. Do, uh, do you know what that first work of the church ought to be? The first work of this church, of Ephesus and the first work of our church, is not to witness, is not to pray, is not to preach. Uh, the first work of this church is not to fellowship. The first work of this church is to love Jesus. And I'm convinced that any problem in the church has ultimately, uh, th that we have ultimately is a result of not loving Jesus like he ought to be loved. And I'm also convinced that the solution to, to the problem any church will ever face is simply to love Jesus like Jesus ought to be loved. Because when you start doing that, all the other things will start falling into place where it should have been to start with. So repeat, go back to the way, remember what it was, what you were doing when you first came to faith in Christ. And go back and do those first things. Remember, repent, repeat. But notice what Jesus will do if we don't do those first three. Remove. Jesus gives us the prescription of how to restore him to his rightful place. But if we refuse to do, that last word is there at the end of verse 5 that he says, do the, do the works you did at first. And he says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So why is the lampstand taken down? Why is the lampstand removed? There's only one reason. Because the light has gone out. When love goes out of a church, the light goes out of the church. The light of the church is Jesus, and the fuel of that light is love for Jesus. And a loveless church is a lightless church. And a lightless church is a lifeless church. A home without love is just a house. A church without love is just a building. A Christian without love. What does Paul say? It's like sounding brass. You can clang the brass cymbals all you want. It's like tinkling cymbals. Makes a lot of noise. But there's nothing there. By the 6th century, the church at Ephesus, notice this. Where's the church at Ephesus today? They're gone. By the 6th century, the church at Ephesus had totally disappeared. Today, that city lies in ruins uninhabited. Christ removed their lampstand and their light went out. Have you ever left your first love? If you don't love Jesus like you ought to love Jesus, if he doesn't have first place in your life, then you face one of two choices, either revival or removal. Now I wonder if Jesus came to our church, would he let our lampstand stay? Or would he remove it? What about our lives personally? Because I want to be known as a, as a Christian where if nothing else is done right or goes right or sounds right, Jesus Christ is first in my life. May we never let Jesus come in second. Because if we do, we'll always finish last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a message to the church at Ephesus. And what a reminder, Lord, that that church is gone. Never to be seen from, never to be heard from again. Why? Because we know from the promise of your word what you told them. If they would not do this, you would remove the lampstand. The church is gone there. The city's gone. Father, I pray that we as believers here at Highland would make it a priority in our lives to make Jesus first. And that we would love you more than we've ever loved you before. And if we examine our hearts and we realize I've not been loving you the way I did back when I first came to Christ, then Lord, help us to get on our knees and repent and get back there to where we were before doing those things we used to do when we first came to faith in Christ. Getting into your word, spending time in prayer, absorbing your word and your truth. 
and getting excited about Jesus. Lord, bless your word and your truth tonight in our lives. Use it to draw us to a closer walk with you. And Lord, I pray that we as individuals would get our hearts right with you. And by we as individuals getting our hearts right with you, may the church be right with you. And may your light shine brighter than ever before. And may the love of Jesus Christ be present here in our hearts and here in this church as we seek to impact the world around us for the kingdom of God. Bless us, Lord, in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us there online. Sorry we didn't have uh, those words on the screen there for you from the verses and stuff, but uh, we'll have that corrected for next week. Uh, but you have a blessed week. We'll see you Sunday, 915 uh, for Sunday school, 1030 that will be on wor- online with worship there. So you can join us there, but I encourage you to come and join us uh, in person. You'll be blessed by that as we go through our study of the life of Jesus. But you have a blessed week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next Sunday.